Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church. We are delighted you have chosen to listen in today. It's our hope the message of Jesus will continue to spread and bear fruit, both in your life and the world around us. For more digital content, feel free to check us out on the web at calvarybcmoultrie.com. And now for today's message. Goodbyes are really tough. Um, I don't like them. I don't think anybody likes them. I mean, if you live long enough, you're going to have to say goodbye to somebody. Goodbye to kids. Goodbye to a spouse. Goodbye to friends. I mean, naturally, it seems like part of our fallen world that we weren't designed for is we have to say goodbye. Like, you weren't designed for that. That's why it feels so horrible when you have to do it. And it's interesting, we come to the end of this book, and we've gotten to know this guy who's been speaking to us called The Preacher, and I'm deeply saddened because, like, you know what, I've gotten a lot from this, and talking from you guys, it seems like you have as well, but it almost seems like we're saying goodbye to an old friend today. Of course, I'm sure we'll teach through Ecclesiastes at some other point, but this guy has been extremely helpful for us. And it's so funny, the way that he ends the book, in many ways, it is very similar to a goodbye. It almost, in some ways, sounds like a funeral. Like saying forever goodbye to someone and saying, hey, all that I've taught you along the way, remember it now. Remember it. The author of Ecclesiastes, he, he's walked through so many things that have helped us in life that are to help us, whether it's with our tongue, whether it's with our finances. So now it's interesting that he would end here. He would end in such a sober place because you would think he would maybe end in a high point, in making you laugh, in making you like chuckle, in doing something like that. And that's not what he does. He actually ends on a pretty sober topic. He ends on the topic of judgment. In Ecclesiastes, one of the things it would do is it would have us, he would have us know two things today. The two final things that he wants to express to us. If you're a note taker, This is going to be maybe particularly helpful for you today. You can write these down. First, he wants to tell you this, that we must rejoice and remember in order to live the good life. That we must rejoice and remember in order to live the good life. Number two, but we must also remember that this is not our only life. That the good life here is not our only life. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, let's start here. This is what he says. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. You know, this language probably shouldn't be new to you if you've been here throughout the whole like sermon series. We've seen this kind of language before. And this guy is... He's a man who's got a complicated relationship with the world. At one sense, he can see how our world is particularly beautiful. And it was created, and it seems so permanent. Yet the only thing that doesn't seem to be permanent in this world is you and I. So we're living in this permanent world that seems so permanent, and yet we are not. Again, we've talked about how this guy is, he, he, can't, he can't deal with it emotionally. He's all over the place. This is why he jumps from topic to topic to topic, I would argue. 
that it's emotionally hard to deal with this. So in terms of you and I, if you've ever, like we've said a couple times, if you've ever tasted this kind of disappointment in life, which by the way, you will if you haven't, that just means you're young. You will, and you will taste the deep disappointment and the deep agony. And you'll get things that you thought would solve your issues and solve your problems. And funny enough, it like only complicates them. So we talked about how this book in some ways is an open letter to anybody who's been disappointed. To anybody who's faced the trials and agonies of life. Because it hurts. It stinks. And what does he end with? Ironically enough, did you notice in verse 8? So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him what? Remember that the days of darkness will be many. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. You know, it's one of those things when you read this, there's times whenever we read sections of the Bible, especially in this book. I think I warned you at the first sermon that we did in this, that there's going to be some things that he might say that might make you a little bit uncomfortable in your seat. This is one of those days. So he goes talking first to the person who's had experience. Hey, if you live long, remember, rejoice. Now, if you're a young man or a young woman, Interesting enough, what does he tell them? Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. And this is what he tells them. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Now, that's funny because, like, y'all at, like, the parenting conference, like, this past weekend, if you were there, you're like, wait a minute, isn't that exactly what I'm telling my kid, like, not to do? That seems like a, a really, really, really bad idea. It's interesting because when we read this, and this might be a lesson, sometimes when we hear a certain phrase, it doesn't quite carry the connotations that we think it does. So, as an example, I remember one movie when I grew up that absolutely terrified me was The Wizard of Oz. Like, I absolutely hated that thing. Like, that little green witch, I didn't like her at all. She was literally in my nightmares all the time. But if you've seen The Wizard of Oz, you know the most famous song from The Wizard of Oz is what? What is it? Follow the Wilbur Road. You got that, right? Now, it's interesting because if you were watching that today, let's say that you were in class, because you probably watched that. If you, were, if you went to public school growing up, they probably at some point put that on. All right? You probably watched that. Um, I hated that day in class, but I remember it pretty frequently because we watched that movie a few times in elementary school. And usually if you were to have your teacher explain to you, what does that mean? Like, follow the yellow book rules. Usually your teacher would say something very American. Like, you know what? Well, that just means you need to, what? Like, follow your dreams or something like that. It's interesting. When the Wizard of Oz was first written, one of the things that the United States was debating was how to actually back their monetary system. Do we back it with silver? Do we back it with uh, like, what do we back it with? Do we back it with gold? And right around then, the Wizard of Oz comes out. Let me ask you, what would the Wizard of Oz tell you? What do you need to back the system with? You need to back it with gold. 
You see, sometimes we can hear something and it can carry. This right here is one of those things. Walk in the ways of your heart and the side of your eyes. To us, that can sound like, oh, just run off to college. Like, do what you want. Do drugs. Have sex with whatever you want. Live a loose lifestyle. That is not what he's urging here. It's not what he's saying. Here's what I think think he's getting at. That one of the things that we see throughout the Bible is that God has made the world in a particular way. And he has made this world to be explored. Now, here's one of the things. God doesn't just, like, assume that that we, we need safe rails. He does that in the next verse. Know that all these things that you do, you need to know something, that God's going to bring judgment one day. Here's what he's getting at, though. That God created the world to be explored, and there's lots of things in it. That might seem novel. It might not. When he tells this guy, walk in the ways of your heart and the side of your eyes, here's what I'm saying. I, I believe, I think this is what he's getting at. This is what I would argue. Some people don't hear it. I would. I would say he's saying, explore the world. Like, get creative. Like, do things. Do stuff. So like kids, if you're a younger one in this room, if you're a young follower of Jesus, he's saying things like develop hobbies. Walk in the things that you want to walk in. Maybe take up photography. Take up dancing. Become a glass sculptor. Learn an instrument. Stick with it. Get married if you want to. Join a gym. Move some weights. Write poetry. Buy a book on birds and learn. Whatever you do, like, get into the world and see what God has done. Like, in in one crazy sense, live by your heart and eyes. I know that sounds really weird. He does give a caveat, which we're going to talk about later. Know that these things will bring you into judgment. But what he's saying is, in one sense, he's saying, hey, rejoice in your youth and do stuff. Actually do stuff. Because you only have so much time to walk on this earth. It's interesting for those of us who are older. I find this command to this young man pretty interesting because I think one of the things that we notice is many times when we get older, we feel like that we have wasted maybe large parts of our life. And I think one aspect of our fallenness is that we fight to do the appropriate thing at the appropriate time. I remember talking with one of my friends one time and bemoaning the fact, and I was telling him that I don't know a person lazier than I am. And at the same time, I absolutely overwork myself. And both of those things are simultaneously true. Like, there's times where I'm lazy and I shouldn't be, and then there's times where I should be enjoying life, and then I just busy myself to death. One of the things he's getting at here in verse 8, notice what he says. If you live in your, rejoice in your years. Find things to do. Remember the days of darkness will be many. Yes, but find something to do. Do things in this life. Oh, young man in your youth, let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the side of your eyes. I think he's saying, 
that we would be wise to realize how much time we have, and it's not a lot. But whatever we do, we are to rejoice and we're to remember. But it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 10. He also gives this other clarification. In the midst of commanding him, hey, do what your eyes want, do what your heart wants. He also tells him what? Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. He tells him something, something practical here. Remember, at the beginning, he tells us to rejoice, but also to do something else. Here he tells him something else. He tells him, remember your creator. Now, if you've been noticing in the book of Ecclesiastes, this is the first time that God has ever talked of as the creator. So what is he telling him to actually, here's what he's telling him not to do. Many of us, when we think of, oh, remember God, remember to like walk with the Lord, all right? In our culture, in South Georgia culture, that means one particular thing that I don't think it's actually talking about here. So, for instance, maybe some of you who were raised here or raised in the South, what you were told growing up was, oh, remember to, like, serve the Lord, right? And here's what that typically meant. That typically meant, okay, you typically just live your life kind of how you want to. You do things, maybe you do things that you shouldn't, but every once in a while you'll show up on a Sunday, every once in a while you'll give some money, and every once in a while, and what you'll do is you'll just live a pretty morally good life. That's actually not what he's talking about right here. He would actually, as we noticed last week, would call that not a godly life, he would actually call that a foolish life. But what does he say when he's saying in verse 1, remember your creator. Here's might be the best example. So some of you, uh, maybe uh, I know uh, a few of you in this room, you are newly married. So uh, Tyler, Tessa, you are one of these. All right. She just gave me the peace symbol. Good approved. All right. So one of the things we see, all right, if you are newly married, um, one of the most important dates of your life has just passed you, right? Now, here's the thing. If someone ever quizzed you and asked you what your anniversary was, you would always be able to remember, for the most part. I mean, you might get a little older and be like, oh, was it the 22nd or the 21st? But for the most part, you're always going to remember that day, right? Now, there is a difference, though. Let's say that you were newly married. Let's say that you're a man in this room, you're newly married, and you want to send a particular, like, a particular message to your bride. So what you're wanting to say is, hey, you're wanting to do something big on your first anniversary, because here's what you're wanting to say that this last year has actually been the best year of my life. And it's not been because maybe I got a new job or I got a raise or this or this. It's been the best year of my life because you're in it. Because you are next to me. And that's why it has been the absolute best. So you do something to reflect that, right? Maybe you write a very, very special note. You take her to a very special place. You do something to because you want to just... And notice... You could just walk up to her that day. This could be your other option. And just say, happy anniversary. Now, one of those you remembered. You technically remember. But in another sense, in another way, you remember. 
When he is saying, remember your creator, what he is saying is, remembering your creator is this. It is putting your life and organizing your life around loving him, serving him, and being devoted to him. It is making him your priorities in every area and every stage of life. He is not an afterthought or someone that you just, for instance, come to and greet on a Sunday. Oh, here's my tithe, and I'll see you next. That's not what he's getting at. That remembering the Lord, the remembering the Creator, is saying that this is who I'm going to build my life around, and this is what I'm going to do with my life. Some practical applications. So some of you, we got some young people in this room. We've got some young people like that are actually have just gone off to college or are about to. So this kind of thing could impact, let's say, the place you go to college. Maybe you're 14 or 15 and you're like, man, I really want to go to a place where they can like accentuate my love for the Lord. And you might not trust yourself at a pu- like going to a public university. You might be like, I can't control myself. You might actually want to play, go to a place that's like a Christian college. You might do that. Some of you, you're like 13 or 14, and maybe you have dreams of this or this or this, but one day when you graduate, you're going to feel and you're going to sense the Lord saying, you know what? I feel like I need to stay here. Even when all your friends are going off to college, all your friends are doing that, you're going to stick right here in Little Moultrie, Georgia. Praise God for that. Praise God for both of those. But you see, either way, your decisions are not running through first primarily Okay, what do I want to do? Your thing is first, okay, how can I honor the Lord most? And then comes the question, what do I want to do? That's what he's getting at here. To remember your creator is to organize your entire life around him. Remember your creator. But this leads us to point number two today. As he's hinted at already, we must also remember this ain't our only life. This ain't our only life. Look at chapter 12, verse 1 again. And just to give you some heads up, there is some confusing imagery in here. So if you're like, David, I started off with you, and now I'm like, I don't know what's going on. That's okay. We're going to break down some of it, okay? Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near, of which you will say, oh, I have no pleasure in them. You're basically saying, I hate my life. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain, in the days when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dim, and the doors on the street are shut. You know, that's pretty interesting what he tells them. It's interesting how this actually starts off because you might be like, David, what in the world is going on here? Like this guy, all of a sudden, he's like, hey, remember your creator until the years draw to an end. And what is he doing? He's actually picturing death. He's picturing death. He says this. He says what? Remember your creator before the days, the evil days. You might be wondering, what are the evil days? Before your heart says, I have no pleasure in them. Here's what he's getting at. Like, he says something similar back in verse 8. 
the dark days. Here's kind of where he's going with this. He's saying, remember your creator. And one of the reasons you want to do this is because your own foolish choices, my own foolishness and sins, what they do is they have a way of hardening your life. They have a way of hardening my life. Here's what this means. Left to our own devices and our own wisdom, we will straight up ruin our lives. And we will get to the point when we're 40, 50, 60, 70, where what happens is you're going to notice the, the amount of size that you give increases greatly. You're just like, says, remember him. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Why? So you don't end up ruining your life before death actually happens. But notice, he starts with this death. But notice what happens in verse 2. This is some crazy stuff. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. You might be like, what in the world is that all about? If you notice here, sun, moon, stars. If you read throughout your Bible, especially in your Old Testament, those things, when those things come out, that's where God's picture, he, you usually get illusions of God's universal judgment on all of mankind. So, for instance, if you're reading a book like Joel, where God's telling of the days that actually, like, where God will bring judgment on the earth, what do you see? All the sun, moon, and stars begin to hide or begin to darken. If you read the book of Revelation, you want to take a guess at what you see? At the universal judgment, what do you see? You see sun, moon, stars darken. So what is he doing here? In some ways, he's telling this young man, this fictional young man that he's speaking to, this hypothetical young man, he tells him, hey, you remember, remember the Lord in the days of your youth. One, so it's not bad for you whenever you get 60 or 70, and it's really tough because of the, 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 the concrete that you poured into your life and now it's like hardened. But he's also saying this, because at the end of time, God is actually going to judge you and I. That he is going to look at you and he is going to look at me and he is going to judge us. And there's some particular things that I think are helpful when he talks about this judgment. Look at verse 6. Before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken and the pitcher is shattered and the fountain of the wheel is broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. He uses two pictures here. One, if you notice in verse 6, he says what? Before the silver cord is snapped. Again, the illusions are pretty big. He pictures your life. A cord is like any basically long metal piece. Basically, your life is this big thing of silver, this, this uh, stand of silver with a golden bowl on top. And he's saying one day that rod will snap and the bowl will shatter, which is a way of saying you and I will die. And I love this one. 
the picture is shattered at the fountain and the wheel is broken at the system. You might be like, David, I don't know what that is. Here's what he's saying. These are tools for everyday life. These are tools that everybody would have used in everyday life. I thought this was awesome because here's the sense. Here's what you were getting here. There is a way that you actually walk about in this world. You use things. You use stuff. You use stuff to make a living. You use things to do a responsibility. Let's say, let's say that you're a construction worker, all right? You use a hammer, all right? You use, like, nails. Like, you use these type of things. Me. All right. I use that and this. Here's essentially what he's saying. That there's going to be a day where the tools you've used your entire life, the tools that you've actually used, that God's actually given you to work in this life, there's going to be a day where you're actually going to have to be like, you set them down and you lie down and you are done. That there's going to be a real day that the illusion here, these are tools that they use in everyday life. There's going to be a day that you're going to put it down. And you're going to have to God. And what does he say? That every soul is what? In verse 7, the dust returns to the earth as it was. The spirit returns to God who gave it. You, your soul, will return to God. And here's the thing. It will not just like ethereally return to God. Like it... Not just that. Here's what it, it will go with all that you have done. All the things that I have done. All the deeds that I have done will be attached. And the life that I lived and how I used my days, how you used your days. you might be like, David, why would he want to tell us in judgment? Why would he end here? It's actually in some ways genius. Because what he's doing is he is trying to get you and I and whoever reads this to live our lives now in light of our last day. That we live in a world Full of people who on their last day will be full of regrets and will say, I have wasted. And what he is saying to this young man is, Do not do that. What he is saying is, Do not do that. It's interesting. We, uh, as a, uh, we had breakfast with some of the guys here at the church every Thursday morning. We were going through a book uh, by J.C. Ryle. It says, "Do you pray?" And he uh, he mentioned this at one part of the book that I thought was very telling. He says one of the things that death does is it reveals all the secrets of a person. That when you're on your deathbed, your deathbed actually reveals all the secrets. He was talking about one of one of uh, the people that uh, I think he knew, or it might have been him himself. A woman who was on her deathbed, and she called him. And she said, hey, I want you to pray for me. 
And then uh, he got there, and he was like, what would you like for me to pray for? And she's like, I have no idea. I have no idea. I mean, what kind of things do you actually, do you actually kind of pray for? That's so interesting. She's about to go meet her creator. And she doesn't know him. That there is going to be a real day where you and I put our tools down for the last time and that we go to him. And here's the thing. We know. I know that left to my own devices, I would be condemned. Like, and so will you. Like, think of the stuff that you've done. That God has seen. We will be condemned, but we see that there is good news for us in the cross because Jesus Christ has taken the penalty for the things that we have done so that we might be pleasing in his sight. And yet, this exhortation still stands. It's an exhortation to not waste the days that you've given, you've been given. That you only get so many times around this earth. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? That this life is not all that there is. And like the author of Ecclesiastes says, We're going to go to our forever home one day. And this is not it. So one question I think that would be very helpful. Maybe you're you're a guest today. Here's a question maybe for you. Are you living as if this is your forever home? And let me urge you, if you are, to encourage you that that might be a very big mistake. Because there will be a day where you breathe your last. And you will go to your creator. And you will see him. But more importantly, he will see you. Which is why I urge you to repent and follow Jesus. Verse 11. This is how he ends the book. The words of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. You're going to notice there that the S in that section is actually what? It's actually capitalized. They're given by one shepherd. What is he saying here? He's saying essentially that though this is from him, that the author is basically saying that the the, the person who translated your Bible is saying this shepherd is not talking about this guy. He's saying that this wisdom actually is coming from God. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing whether good or evil. And that's how the book ends. It's a book that ends with telling us to number our days. 
So I would be curious, maybe what would you say about your life right now? You only get one shot at this. I only get one shot at this. I was swimming in a pool last night, looking up at the stars, thinking this. Lord, what needs to change in my life based on this? Like, Lord, give me the resoluteness to actually live, because I know this is it. This is all I got. This will determine my eternity. What will I do with it? And I'm not saying that I'm earning God's favor. Absolutely not. I've only earned His wrath. That's not what we're saying. We're saying those who have been saved by grace in Jesus, how are we to live our days? Do we truly want to live it just building up wealth so that another man can enjoy it one day? We've already heard that lesson. Are we going to try to build a reputation that will only fade in 200 years? We've already heard that lesson. What will we do? What will we do? A special urging. If you're under the age of 15 in here, I'm talking to you. You are going to have the temptation to think, I'll do what I want now, and then I'll just turn into my parents later in life and serve like God and love God with kind of all my heart then. You have no idea. First of all, that might not be possible. Because remember, one of the things about our foolishness and our sin is it pours concrete into our hearts. So you think that you can actually go and just flip the switch. There will be no flip the switch in that switch to flip in that day. Live now. Live now with all you are for him, delight in him, seek him. Seek him before the days of darkness, because they're going to be many, and you're going to suffer a whole bunch. It's going to hurt. For those maybe in this room who are like, David, I'm 60, and I feel like I've wasted my life. Do not underestimate what God can do in the final stages of your life. Do not. He can do more in 20 years than you thought you could do in 80. He can do more in five years than you thought you could do in 80. That regardless, may we delight in Him and walk in Him all our, with Him all our days. Going where He desires us to go. And living in all the ways he desires us to. I hope this has been beneficial for you. In some ways, Ecclesiastes acts like a mirror and holds holds it up to our face to see what we really are. And I've had to come to grips with that myself. Thanks for listening in to today's message. For more information about our church, feel free to visit us at calvarybcmoultrie.com. We hope you will join us again next time. Until then, grace and peace.